the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. So far in Luke chapter 21, Jesus has been sharing with his disciples that God's plan was not to bring justice against Rome, but that he would save the world from their sins. Jesus shared that mankind would persecute his disciples and reject even his second coming. Judgment is coming on a world that has rejected their God and turned to their own ways and understanding. Jesus continued to speak of the destruction of Israel, the persecution of his followers, wars, and rumors of wars. These things would all speak of the time of Jesus' return. He said there would be much confusion of when and how these things would be. Jesus and the disciples are now in the city of Jerusalem during the Passover. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, put it in his heart to betray Jesus. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 22, verse 3. So how does someone get to that point? How does someone get to the place where you're going to betray the Lord, the one who loves you, who you've been with? How do you get to that point? Two ways. To betray the Lord, you must do two things. One, you must really want something that God says is wrong. Judas's case, it was money. In Peter's case, it was his pride. He wanted so desperately to be the one disciple that stood out. The disciple says, all y'all are going to forsake me tonight. And Peter goes, they might, but not me. I believe you about them, Lord, but not me. And the Lord says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail after you fall. When you get back up again, encourage your brothers. Peter goes, I'm not going to fall. I'm ready to die for you. That's when Jesus had to tell him before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. But Peter's pride said, "Uh uh-uh, not me. So you have to first off want something that God says is wrong so bad. You have to want it. And then secondly, you need to start listening to the enemy instead of the Lord. That's the recipe. Coming on Netflix soon, The Making of a Traitor. That's how you become someone who betrays the Lord. When you want something so badly that God says is wrong, and you start listening to the enemy's voice instead of the Lord. And I'd ask you this morning, are you there right now? I'm not so naive as to think that everyone came here this morning in their most spiritual state and their most spiritual week. Are you there right now where you want something that God says no, but you're clinging to it? Or you're starting to listen to the enemy instead of the Lord? No one starts down the road of destroying their family by saying, I'm going to hurt everyone around me and I don't care. No one starts off down that road by saying that. I'm going to hurt everyone around me and I don't care. It starts by wanting something that God says, that's off limits, son. You say, yeah, but Lord, you know, I mean, it's got to be a way. And the Lord goes, there's no way. But then I start listening to other voices, my flesh, the world, the enemy forces that begin to say, oh, no, there's a way. God told Adam and Eve, I've given you every tree of the garden to eat. Enjoy it all. Just don't eat this one tree. 
And what does Satan tell Eve? Did God really say that if you eat this, you'll die? She was so fixated on that one tree, she forgot about all the other trees God blessed her with. And Satan latched onto that and offered her something and said, I don't think God's right about that. There's another way. And let me share it with you. I frequently hear people who are living in blatant sin and refuse to repent say things like, but I still love the Lord. I still love Jesus. I'm leaving my spouse. I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm leaving the church. I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm stealing from my boss. I'm not hurting Jesus. Anytime you justify sin in your life, you're not loving Jesus. Do you understand that? You're loving your sin. That's why it's called betrayal. I don't betray somebody who doesn't know me. I can't really betray somebody who's not close to me. I can't betray someone that I've not shown affection for. But the betrayal of Judas is here as he walked with him for three and a half years, lived with him, been his disciple, did miracles probably, saw all the love, all the goodness, all the grace, all the miracles, and then said, I can still love Jesus, but have my money too. Have you ever wondered how Judas could identify Jesus with a kiss? He really believed that what he was doing wasn't that bad. Right? The old song goes, if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. Horrible. Horrible song. Just because it makes you happy doesn't mean it's not bad. But Judas thought, I can still love Jesus and betray him. Get what I want. He really believed that his love for Christ could coexist with justified sin. But I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie from the enemy because Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. He said, you are my friends if you do what I say. That's not Pastor Will's systematic theology on following Jesus. That's a direct quote from Jesus himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. You're my friends if you do what I say. That's from Jesus, not me. But when you start listening to that lie that you can still serve Jesus, still love Jesus, but not do what he says, not keep his commands, that's when any horrible decision becomes possible. I remember when I was at school and one of our pastors said, if left to yourself on your best day, you will always choose the wrong thing. You know, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know about that, Lord. I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'd always make the worst horrible decision. I remember I spent all day kind of wrestling with it. And so the next Sunday, I was in, uh, next day I was in the shower getting ready for class. And the Lord just so heavily, in his gentle, kind way, started to remind me of some of the worst decisions I've made in my life. Not in a condemning way. He, I mean, I knew I was forgiven, but he just subtly and gently began to remind me of some of the worst decisions I made and how I arrived at those decisions, how I got to that place. And I remember there in the shower, I just confessed before the Lord. I said, Lord, that's me without you. That's me doing things my way. And I thought to myself, maybe I am capable of any horrible decision if left to myself. 
when we believe that we can love God and still live the way we want, any horrible decision becomes possible. And when I want something that's wrong so badly, I betray the one who truly loves me, thinking all the while that I still care about him. Because now I'm using Satan's definition of love instead of Jesus' definition. Which is what makes the part Luke decides to share next so incredibly powerful. Look at verse 7. Well, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover, the Passover meal that we may eat. And so they said to him, well, where wilt thou that we prepare? They were sleeping on the Mount of Olives, probably in someone's vineyard at that point in time. Not exactly the place you want to have a Seder. So where do you want us to prepare? And so Jesus said to them, well, behold, when you Entering into the city, you're entering in, there shall come a man meet you, a man coming from the opposite direction, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house which he goes into, and you shall say unto the goodman, the owner of the house, the master says unto you, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And so they went and they found it exactly as Jesus said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Passover would begin at 6 p.m. that evening. So the lamb would need to be killed, the meat would need to be cooked, you know, all that kind of stuff. The preparations all have to be done before then because most Jews would celebrate the feast that evening. I think today they say you have to finish it by midnight. You have to do it by midnight. Uh, back then, they would actually do, some of them would do it the next day. That's what the chief priests end up doing because they had kind of forsaken God's word at that point and they did it at any time. But most Jews did it at 6 p.m. that evening. So he says, go and prepare the Passover meal for us because tonight's the night. When they don't know where to do it, Jesus clues them in. There's going to be a guy with a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house he's at. Tell the owner and say, where's the room that you have? The word there for guest chamber, it's the same word for inn. So basically, where's the rentable room that you have for this kind of stuff? With so many visiting Jerusalem during Passover, it was very common to rent out prearranged rooms for a Passover dinner to travelers. It is more likely that that's the case than that this person knew Jesus. Uh, There are those who say, well, how about Jesus know that the guy had a room this late in the process and all this kind of stuff? He had to have known him. No, it's very common for people to do this last second in Jerusalem. You just get there a couple days beforehand and and you get a room. That's just how things worked back then. But either way, whether Jesus knew the guy or not, that Jesus knew where they'd meet the servant carrying the water shows that Jesus had access to information you and I do not. (laughs) I can't tell you and say, "Uh, go on to Fairbanks, and when you hit this street down by the VA, hey, uh, you're going to meet a guy who's got a pink polka dot shirt on. (laughs) And go follow his car. But don't be a creeper. But go follow his car. And when he goes into his house, you know, I mean, I can't tell you that information because I don't know that information. Only God could have known this. That means that the Lord has access to any information he wants to have access to. And there is something else that Jesus knew all about. Jesus knew all about Judas and his plans. So how does God respond when he knows someone close to him is actively seeking to betray him? Verse 14. And when the hours come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this 
and to divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And thus we now come to the last old way to celebrate the Passover, what we call the Last Supper. Jesus here, when the hour was come, the time to celebrate Passover, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Note, how many apostles are present? Twelve, which means who else is there? Judas is there as well. So Jesus sits down for this Passover meal with Judas and the other 11. Now, the Passover or the Seder feast has 15 steps to it. It starts with the Kadesh, which means the sanctification of the day. During this time, the first of the four glasses of wine is filled, and then everyone will recite the opening prayer, the Kadesh. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing those correctly, but that's how I read it. This prayer, the Kadesh, it goes along with that idea of the sanctification of the day. Because this prayer is to set apart this special occasion in your heart. You're not just having a feast. You're not just having a celebration. You want the night to be memorable. You want the night to be special. And so you pray for that. In addition, the prayer also asks God to bless this night by making it more than just a ritual, by helping them to remember, by helping to make it special. Now, Luke gives us insight into the start of this feast while the other gospel writers go to the third cup immediately. The third cup is the cup of redemption, which is what we celebrate when we have the Lord's Supper. When we are having the Lord's Supper, we, every first of the month, first Sunday of the month, we are celebrating the third cup of Passover, the cup of redemption. The afikoman, the bread, which we'll talk about next week. That's what we are celebrating. But Luke goes all the way to the beginning of the feast because of something Jesus says and does right at the start that he wants to share with us. Right before that first cup of wine is poured and that Kaddush prayer is recited, Jesus tells his disciples something important. Verse 15, And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The word there, desire, means great longing, deep desire. He says, with great longing and deep desire have I looked forward to eating not just the Passover, but this Passover feast with you before I suffer on the cross. At this time of sanctification of hearts and asking God to sanctify the feast, Jesus tells them how much he'd been looking forward to spending this night with them. Now, Jesus had spent three years with these men. They'd celebrated Passover before. But this would be the last Passover they'd celebrate together for a very long time. And so it was very special to Jesus. For he says to them, this is why I've longed for this night, to spend it with you guys. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It's not that Jesus would never eat until the kingdom came. The phrase thereof means from out of. So he says, I will not anymore eat from out of the Passover feast. He won't celebrate the Passover feast ever again until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 44 through 46 describe the worship that will take place during the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. And guess what? Passover is included. Now, you got to come back next week to find out what that will be like because it's important as we get into the Lord's Supper to understand which cup and what will be thought about and celebrated in the millennium. But it will be celebrated in the millennium. But the reason Jesus was looking forward to this night 
is because he didn't know when that would be. Can't explain it to you, but the way the Greek words this sentence, he says, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It means until the day that it should happen that the kingdom of God is here. What do you mean, until the day it should happen that the kingdom of God's here? You don't know the day? No, he doesn't. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said, no man knows that day except the Father. This is part of knowledge that Jesus chose to restrict. He said, but of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So knowing that it could be a while before he would get to spend this time with them again, he's excited to share this last Passover meal with them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been invited to a party or a celebration or, you know, somewhere and you just go because it's the right thing to do? You know, it's not that you won't have a nice time. It's just, it's not on your woohoo list, right? Well, this night was on Jesus's woohoo list. It was at the top of his list. He didn't want to be anywhere else but with them because they were special to him. All of them, including Judas, were special to him. Look at John 13 with me. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, before they eat this meal, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them. King James says, unto the end. It means through it all. No matter what, to the very end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and returned to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now we have that whole section with Simon Peter. I'm going to skip that and go down to verse 12, the end. He says, do you realize what I've done to you? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He says this, but then in verse 18, look what he says. I'm telling you, this is, follow my example. I know this is your heart. Be like me. But then he says in verse 18, but I'm not speaking about all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. You know whose feet got washed? Judas's feet got washed. You know who was there for all the joy and laughter of the Passover feast, all the remembering of what God did back in Egypt? Judas was. Jesus washed the stinky, slimy feet of a man whose entire energy was focused on finding the right time to betray him that evening. Jesus loved Judas and he wanted to spend time with him. Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. He also knew how it would affect Judas. Jesus likely even knew that Judas would be dead by suicide in the morning. But Jesus loved Judas to the end. 
You know, most of us wouldn't have invited Judas if we knew this. Or we'd have run him off. At best, we may have tolerated him knowing he'd be gone forever in the morning. One more night with this joker. But Jesus loved Judas to the end. Because Jesus created Judas. Because Jesus wanted Judas to repent so that he could forgive him. Jesus wanted to be with him, the traitor, on this special night. And so in this moment of sanctification, before the giving of thanks is done, before that first cup is passed out, Jesus sets this feast apart like no other by declaring a love like no other, one that's even towards his worst enemy, the friend who was about to betray him. At this point, you might say, good sermon, Pastor Will. I understand I need to love my enemies like Jesus loved Judas. And it would be easy to end this teaching by saying, now go love your enemies like Jesus loved Judas, which we should. But if that's all you've gotten, you've missed the point. The point is that I'm Judas. That's the point. I was Judas. I was God's enemy, and this is how he loved me. Jesus, in this night, as you read further on, he tells them what he's about to do. He talks about how the Passover represents him. And now, when they celebrate it, they're going to remember him. And in doing so, he's telling Judas, who is there during all this, that Judas, I'm going to the cross for you, for all your theft, all your greed, and all the betrayal. I'm about to pay for every last drop of it. He was telling Judas that he was loved and that he didn't have to go through with his plan. And the same declaration is made to me in the finished work of Christ on the cross when it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, that God proved his love towards us and that when we were without strength, he died not for the godly, but for the ungodly. Scarcely for a good man would somebody die. Maybe for someone, you know, that was a, scarcely for another person would someone die. Maybe for a good man, someone might die. But God commends, proves, demonstrates forever his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. And so I ask you this morning, do you realize how much God loves you? That no matter how much you've done, it was paid for on the cross and it can be forgiven if you'll repent and trust him. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And if you have received him and you're not his enemy anymore, if Jesus loved you like that when you were his enemy, how much more is his heart toward you now that you're God's child and all your sin has been wiped out? He loves you with an everlasting love and nothing you can do will change that. So indeed, let's show this love to others. But let's live in light of being loved this way by our awesome Savior. Amen? Because understanding that is the only way we can truly love others by His Spirit. Let's all stand. Lord, we have seen the enemy's definition of love that I can love God but still have what I want, do things my way. But Lord, we see your definition of love here. It's so radical that you would display love to all the disciples, including the one whose whole mindset that evening wasn't bent on enjoying the time with his friends and with his master, his teacher. All of his time was bent on looking for the right opportunity to turn him over to the authorities, 
to put all those other men, his friends, at risk so he could get an extra cash. Well, that's the kind of love that we don't have in and of ourselves. It only comes from you because it's who you are. So Lord, we receive that love this morning. We trust that that's your heart towards us. We want to walk in light of that love. You said in your word, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so Lord, we want to stay close to that. Because when we know how much we're loved, Lord, we love you back. And that's when we love you, we keep your commandments. We do what you say. And that's where we want to be, Lord. We we don't want to be those who, like Judas, make really horrible decisions because we're doing things our own way. So Lord, we receive your love this morning and we, Lord, just choose to stay close to you. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and given your life to Christ, you've never received that love before, you've never decided to turn away from your own way of living, I would like to help you pray a prayer this morning to enter into that relationship with Christ. So if you want that, if you want to turn away from your life and give your life to Christ, trust him for your salvation. Just lift your hand high because I want to pray with you this morning as you make that decision. Well, Lord, you know every heart and Lord... You know your own love because you shared it with each other in eternity, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you've given it to us and that we get to learn about it. Teach us to walk in it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.